Corona Chronicle session 36 with Aaron Colby. Now, Aaron Colby has been a familiar personality on Restaurant Unstoppable. This is the third time on the show in the past month, and it's just because uh, you, we had him on the show organically uh, to cover 20 areas, 20 hotspots of when it comes to employee law that just or compliance that a lot of operators don't catch. And then, um, then we had him come back almost immediately on the show to talk about the difference between furlough and layoff because that was a hot topic when this thing all started to kick off. And uh, now the the landscape of um, our industry has changed. What's the new normal is basically what we're here to discuss and uh, the things you need to be mindful of when it comes to employee law and being compliant. And a lot of our employees are working from home right now uh, and you need to address that um, you know, you need to document this. Uh, a lot of our employees that we were able to retain are doing different work. We also need to address that to stay compliant. And now it is a lot of mayhem right now, but just because there's mayhem out there, just because there's chaos does not mean that we are exempt from compliance. So that's kind of what today's conversation is about. We also talk about what the future looks like. Um, that's something I'm really interested in right now is talking to really smart people to find out what they think the future looks like and how we can start being proactive today to be ready for that future. So a really great conversation. Uh, before we hit play on today's chat, I'm pleased to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Restaurant 365. Restaurant 365 is a cloud-based all-in-one restaurant-specific accounting and back-office platform that seamlessly integrates with your POS system, payroll provider, and food and beverage vendors. Head over to restaurant365.com slash unstoppable and qualify for 30% off implementation and get a free inventory build within Restaurant 365, a value of $5,000 and things might be slow for you right now. Um, I highly recommend that during this slow time, you're out there, you're, you're educating yourself on the new technology, on the new ways to operate more effectively and efficiently. Restaurant 365 is absolutely one of those items to check out. Go checking them out. Again, restaurant365.com slash unstoppable. This episode is also brought to you by Don Professional uh, by Procter & Gamble, the number one dish detergent found in most commercial kitchens around the nation. Uh, with Don Professional, you get long-lasting suds that clean up to 58% more dishes per sink. Dom Professional also reduces sink changeovers by 35%, which is huge because, you know, with all that hot water we're using, you can with Dom Professional, you can save up to 6,000 gallons of hot water per year versus other private labels. Uh, so again, go check out Dom Professional. Plus, we got to mention, you got to stay clean. You got to you got to stay sanitary during these times uh, and Don Professional will get the job done. Head over to pgpro.com. Again, that's pgpro.com. You can find Don Professional uh, in Sam's Club uh, and you know, just get out there. Use Don Professional. Support my sponsors. Guys, your support on my sponsors supports Restaurant Unstoppable. Uh, so thank you in advance for using my links. The, and even better, um, if there's a technology or a tool you want to implement in your business, Email me, Eric at Restaurant Unstoppable. I'll make a personal introduction. They'll take special care of you. And that way, they know that you're coming from me. And I just cannot stress enough how much this supports the show. Thank you in advance for using those links and letting me know. All right, here's today's episode. Enjoy it. Aaron Colby back on the show for a third time in like less than a month. Jeez, man. 
How are you? <laughs> I, can't, I can't, can't get away from you. All the employment attorneys are in high demand. Yeah. Uh, and once again, just super grateful that you've been making time for us. So if you guys uh, don't recognize this voice, Aaron Colby uh, is with Davis Wright and Tremaine Law Group. Uh, you're a partner over there. You specialize in. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about what you specialize in, what your vertical is real I- quick? I do uh, employment law, specifically California employment law, um, a lot for hospitality and restaurants, yeah. uh, ma- defending and managing claims, you know, on the employer side. So there's really no agenda for today's conversation. Um, there's just so much to cover, and I don't know what takes precedence over what right now because it's all important uh and there's a lot of noise out there and uh, really what i'm hoping that we achieve in today's conversations in today's conversation is that you kind of just help us cut through the noise you know there's a lot of noise what's the the noise we should be paying attention to what are your clients coming to you asking you advice on i know you you recently wrote an article we're probably going to break that down a little bit and uh, i have, might have a question or two for you throughout the process of all this but um so what does the conversation look like right now over at davis uh right in tremaine like what are, what are you lawyer folk talking about like what's the chatter yeah <laughs> Um, the chatter is, is the new workforce. Um, and by new, I mean the new temporary normal. Um, you know, right now the immediate normal is, a, I would say, you know, a third or half the workforce is an essential business under the various shutdown orders, right? And so the kind of progression goes like this. Um, there's these shutdown orders. Um, and slowly but surely the cities. Um, and the counties also institute their own shutdown orders once the state does, sometimes in reverse. Sometimes the cities and counties start first. But you've got three levels of shutdown orders. You have the state, you have the county, you have the city shutdown orders, whether they be called shelter in place or stay at home orders. What they essentially say is, look, there are two groups of businesses and operations here, those that are essential and those that are not. Um, those that are not, um, you need to close up shop. You can, you can work. We want you to work. Um, but you can't work on sites. You're going to have to work from home, remote, um, in a way that people are abiding by the shelter at home. Um, Then there are the essential businesses, which um, oftentimes come from a federal definition of what's critical infrastructure. And it's what makes sense. And it's a wide variety of things, right? People got to get food. They got to get electricity. They got to get water. They got to get power. Yeah. um, Government services. So, that's why you see grocery stores, pharmacies, um, uh, restaurants, as long as it's not dining in services, you see all those things open. So what happens is, is all of a sudden, literally overnight, you've got an entirely different labor force. Um, now bring it down to a restaurant level. You have, you know, a labor force of a hundred workers, 50 of which are in dining, 50 of which are not all of a sudden you've got a government order that says you can't do in dining. So what do you do with that? It's it's a difficult situation because so the last time we talked about was furlough and layoffs, but you know th- that's the the sad reality right now is that if you don't have if you can't operate um, a dining service, you don't have a need to have a payroll for dining employees. It's not it's not a job function you need. So you know, either a furlough, which you're telling them, you know, we're not going to put you on the schedule and we're not going to pay you or a layoff, which says, you know, we're ending the relationship. It's not you, it's us. We don't have the need for it. Either way you file for unemployment insurance. Um, and part of the federal stimulus package, the cares act is that they, 
basically injected the state unemployment insurance programs with, with federal unemployment insurance dollars, um, generally speaking. And so it, it enables someone to collect a higher amount for a longer period of time. That's, that's fine and dandy, but people want to work. And so what we're seeing is ways that people can work, how they can work, um, even if it is on a reduced schedule or reduced pay, you know, a partial furlough, let's call it. And, and, and what that leads to ultimately is, is the new normal. And that normal is you've got just who you need on site um, and everybody else working from home. Um, and, you know, what does that lead to, right? I mean, a lot, uh, some, some employment laws have been suspended, right, during, the, during this pandemic, right? You've got, um, you know, Cal Warren, which is the requirement to give 60 days notice of a layoff or, or separation of employment. You know, that 60-day that warn period has been suspended um, based on the pandemic. So you've got some leeway, but other stuff just remains, right? You got to pay people overtime. You got to pay people minimum wage, you got to pay people the minimum salary threshold if they're going to be exempt from those two requirements. Um, in California, you got to reimburse business expenses. Um, and, you know, that, that means you're an employee working at a desk, at a computer, at your office, um, and you didn't need a, a home phone or you didn't need a mobile phone because, you know, you were expected to respond to email at work. All of a sudden, overnight, you're working at home on your crickety home laptop, on your Wi-Fi you're sharing with your kids and every streaming service. Right. And, you know, you don't, have, you don't have a mouse. You don't have a workspace. Um, you know, you barely have a power strip <laughs> to be able to plug in your laptop. And, and thankfully, you found the, 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 the power adapter. So what does that mean? You know, your employer is clearly asking you to, you, you need these uh, these devices, and that device includes the internet connection. Um, and so, and sometimes, and most time, it includes a device, whether it be a computer with a a webcam or or some other type of device, like an iPad or a tablet or an iPhone. You got to have something for Zoom or Skype. And so, immediately, you've got a requirement. Now, some employers are, are were really deft and were able to roll out a fleet of computers, but that's not realistic. And it's not realistic to certain people either. You know? And so what you have is a reimbursement requirement. Yeah. You've got that issue. Um, you know, what else you're seeing um, is say, and then basically that means, you know, you, you can give employees a flat amount and say, listen, you don't have to go out and buy a computer right now. We're not going to pay you 3000 bucks to go get a state of the art laptop. But here's 50 bucks a month as a reimbursement for the use of the computer, the internet connection, and, and your phone, you know, while you're at home. And if that 50 bucks isn't enough, come to us and give us your actual receipts and we can break down what's business related and what's not. Um, so you have that as, as kind of an issue. And then that, that, that's the work from home. And, and working from home is just like an office. You've got workers comp, right? You've got to make sure people are safe. Um, I mean, I got a six-year-old and a three-year-old. I got two wild boys. Sometimes I don't feel safe. Right. Well, I, I know my mom uh, works from home, um, and I know that when she was going through the process of being like being able to qualify working from home, there are certain things that she needed to be able to prove, like that the door um, to her room that she worked in was locked, like that she could lock it from the inside was one thing. Absolutely, absolutely, confidentiality. Yeah, all that. She didn't need to be able to have a fire extinguisher. Are these the th- kind of things that, like, even like restaurateurs should be making sure uh, their employees are doing if they're working from home? 
depends on the job duty. Um, okay. I think at a bare minimum, you know, a bare minimum, you need to you need to make sure that their employee, whatever you're asking your employee to do at home, it can be done in a safe manner. Yeah. Um, you know, so if your if your <laughs> employee is the one who is you know coming up with you know new menu items, and he's at home and he's slicing things and he's got kids running around with knives everywhere, I don't know if that's great. But, you know, if he's able to do it at home and he's got a separate kitchen area where, like you said, he can put up some safeguards, okay. And he's got, you know, the the, the gloves that he's not going to chop his fingers off. He's got a pair of those at home, okay. Um, at the same time, if your CFO, your controller is working from home, no, I don't think that, you know, he or she should be using the same iPad that their kid is using, you know, to watch Team Umizumi. They should be working, you know, using an iPad that is, or a device that's secure, over secure connection, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I, and and so I know one other thing. Overnight. Sorry, I cut you short. Keep going. Sorry. I was just going to say overnight, these employers that didn't expect to think about it have to think about these things. And usually it, it embodies itself in a telecommuting agreement or a bring your own device agreement. But it's, it's an agreement that basically says, look, you're going to keep time. Um, you know, and let us know what you're working so we can pay you. You're going to make sure to do it in a confidential way. We're going to reimburse you this way. You're going to have a safe workspace, et cetera. So one thing I know that comes up when it comes to working at home is that the the line between work-life balance in uh, a lot of people always – maybe employers think, well, if you're from home, like they don't really respect that like hard stop at the end of the day. Um, is that Can that run into issues? Is that something that, that needs to be on our radar is, is really paying attention to um, that work-life balance and not expecting people to work longer because they can't work from home? Yeah, I think that should be on their radar. Um, you have to, you know, again, pre, pre-COVID-19, you had the, your big concern there was, is the employee non-exempt, you know, hourly and overtime, or is the employee exempt uh, salary? If the employee's salary, you know, the whole point is that it's not about the time they work, it's about what they're doing and the product they're giving you and, and how they go about it. So it doesn't really matter. You want to email them at 3 in the morning and, and you know, expect a, a response at 4 in the morning. I'm not saying that's a good practice, but that's okay. Um, an hourly employee, um, you know, in that situation, you've just put yourself on the hook for a lot of wages because a, they're going to have to answer the email from three to four in the morning or whatever long it takes them, you know, the 15 minutes to answer it. But B, if your rule is, Hey, you got to check your device and you've got to respond within an hour, 24 hours a day, you know, there's an argument to be made that that employee is constantly on call and you've got to pay them for that time. And so they're on the hook for 24 hours a day. And at the overtime rate, that gets expensive. So, yeah, that's a problem. And, you know, usually um, policies say, hey, you cannot work unauthorized overtime. And that's easy to monitor because if you're in the, if you're in the restaurant, you schedule the employee, you schedule them to a seven-and-a-half-hour shift, you know, or, you know, a shift at, you know, 38 hours a week. If they, if they work a little extra and it goes into overtime, then, then, you know, you've got it, but you've given yourself a buffer at home. You know, yeah, if you email an employee after hours and you're not explicitly clear with the policy or the email that says don't respond to this until business hours the next day, and the employee responds to it that night, um, that's that's compensable time. And so you've got to pay that hourly employee for that. So that's why it's important that you've got a timekeeping system um, at home or remote or something. Even, even if they just email you the hours at the end of the week, it's, but what what are those hours, quote unquote? They don't just give you you know, eight hours a day, 40 hours a week flat, they keep their time. But, you know, yeah. if they, 
I mean, try, I know what that is like. That's what I do. I keep my time, you know, you know, if, if it took me, you know, 20 minutes to respond to the email, you know, it's point four. Yeah. So are there any other key things regarding uh, the shift from working from home that are, are worth bringing to the surface? I have some other questions around just job, uh, like duties and titles in general. I mean, I feel like, well, first answer that question. Is there anything that we haven't touched re- in regard to working remotely that you want to bring to the surface before you move away from that topic? Um, when, when you're working remotely, you, you have to realize, like, is this going, like, what are you expected to do? So you should be defining the job duties as well. You don't want to, you don't want to define any, anyone's job duties um, outside of what the shelter in place orders say. So for instance, you know, if I'm not an essential business and I decide to work, you know, so I'm okay, I have two choices. I shut down or I tell my employees go work from home in a safe way. That's fine, but it doesn't end there, right? When they're working from home, they still have to be able to maintain social distance. You can't put them in a situation where um, they're not socially distant from um, their immediate household family members. So, you know, an example of that is, you know, don't send the employee out to the bank to deposit the checks or the cash for the week. Um, you know, I'm not, there's nothing illegal about doing, well, I shouldn't say that if you, if you don't have an essential business, even though the bank is an essential business and it will be open, you've got to look and ask yourself, well, I'm not an essential business. And so I don't know if I've got the ability to go ask employee Tom to get in his car, um, drive to the bank, get into a mask, get into gloves and do all those things. And so, you know, you might think of a workaround. A lot of other things is when you've got employees working remotely, how do you get them the equipment um, or how do you get them the final, you know, their paycheck if they're not a, uh, a direct deposit employee, right? These little things, you know, you want to err on the side of adhering to a shelter order, right? You know, that the answer is, oh, hey, I got a computer for you and I got your paycheck for you. Come in tomorrow and, you know, stand in line with a group of people who aren't six feet apart. Um you know, the answer should be, Hey, let's discuss what's the best way. What's the most convenient way. Yeah. Sometimes you have to go out of your way and mail it to the person, um, depending on what it is or, or, or is it really necessary that, that you get it to them or whatever you need that you, they get to you. You get, you got to think through these things, right? We're in unprecedented times. There's yeah. no, there's no roadmap. Well, one thing I'm curious about is listening to you talk. Um, I feel like all like, you know, it's important that we have job titles and roles and duties and responsibilities. And then, you know, you, you got to kind of respect those limitations or those, those parameters that you set. But I feel like any like role or duty has kind of gone out the window in all this. Now we're just kind of getting creative in trying to just find like new roles for people um, that might've been outside of their old roles just to keep them on staff, right? Just to give them something to do. Do we need to be thinking about, um, maybe having to rewrite all roles to be protecting ourselves. So people can't say like, that's not my job or are you picking up what I'm putting down? Like, um, like, yes, I understand exactly what you're saying. Um, okay. So whenever you're going to change someone's job duties or compensation or really expectations, you know, those three, um, those three items you want to put it in writing. Okay. Most States require you to put compensation change in writing. You know, you can do it prospectively, um, if you're hourly, you can't bring them below the minimum wage. If they're salary, you can't bring them below the minimum salary threshold. You know, in California, that's $55,000 a year. Um, but, you know, the duties that go along with it, yeah, that, that, 
that's required for a exempt salary worker because part of it is, you know, what, what job duties are they doing? So if you're making a hundred thousand a year and all of a sudden, you know, as a cost reducing item, you bring the employee down to 55,000 a year, 56,000, you're still above the minimum salary threshold. But if you tell them, Hey, look at, at the same time, now you're going to be working the takeout window. Um, and that person does that more than half the time, then they're no longer salary. You've destroyed the exemption. Now they're, they should be getting paid hourly and breaks in California. So in most of the country, they should, you know, you get hourly and overtime. So you, you, you have to be conscious of putting in writing what the duties are and also for resentment too. Right. Um, you know, there's, you know, some people you could say, Hey, you should be lucky. You have your job. You know, I've got competitors who fired everyone. Um, you know, and some people would say, Hey, look, like we're keeping everyone on full rate and we're doing our best. And, the nature of our business allows us to do that for and sustain that for a few months. So it's, it's not always that simple. Plus the answer always should be no matter what you do, if you give an employee less hours, less pay, or you lay them off, you say to them, go file for unemployment insurance. Don't get involved in whether they qualify or not. It's not up to you, but you sure as hell want them to file because that's a, a government benefit that's available to them. That's, the avenue in which the federal government is injecting stimulus dollars, you know, at least in my opinion, you know, directly into the workers' hands. You know, there's yeah. lots of stimulus um, that's going on. There's, uh, you know, federal paid sick leave. Um, the way that's working is the smaller employers, less than 500, uh, have to provide two weeks and sometimes up to 13 or 14 or an extended amount of time paid sick leave. Um, that the employer pays to employees and the employees have to trigger it for a certain under certain scenarios. Right. Um, th then you have you know, smaller employers with PPP loans, you know, which are forgivable. If you use them on certain things, you've got um, certain, certain people under certain gross income levels being able to get, you know, $600 or $1,200 check directly from the government. Um, but then you have unemployment insurance, which has been opened up to independent contractors, which has been, um, enhanced under certain states, and albeit certain states are better than others. Um, the way unemployment insurance works, it's state by state. And so in California, before all of this, I could file if I lost my job or I lost pay during a pay week or, or my expected hours. And I could get unemployment insurance um, subject to a formula, subject to a cap. Um, and the cap and formula are different in, in every state. Yeah. But now what the federal government has done is they've injected um, federal dollars into that too. So you can get your state unemployment plus the federal unemployment. And, you know, in a lot of situations that, that can be very helpful for employees. I'm not, look, I'm not arguing that this is, you know, a great result, you know, the, the pre pre COVID and pre shutdown orders was going to be, was much better for everybody, but this is something, yeah. it was so much something that, that, that it almost, that the holdup in, in passing this in Congress as part of Congress and part of the House, I'm sorry, the um, Senate worried that it was too generous of unemployment insurance towards the workers and it would not incentivize the workers to go back to work. Instead, it would create a pseudo welfare state and employees would just collect unemployment insurance. I honestly think that, um, like that, I, that is one of my fears, honestly, is that people are like, oh, well, why would I try to stay busy. Why, why would I try to work if I could just stay home on like a two month vacation and just collect? Um, well, okay. That's a, a couple of answers to that. Number one is <laughs> it ain't going to be a two month vacation. 
Um, for some people, it's going to be a much longer one, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, no, number two is state unemployment insurance. We're already kind of rickety. The systems applying online, calling up and applying in person, you know, there are reports that even some states had weakened their unemployment insurance so much because they wanted to make it more difficult to file. Um, and so now all of a sudden you've got a weak system and you've just, you know, put an enormous elephant on its back. Yeah. And so it, it, it's, there's, there's widespread stories of not even being able to file for unemployment insurance, can't get in your claims in, you know, we'll see what the payouts look like. You know, I don't know. I, I don't know what the projections are, but I'm guessing that, it's projected the state's going to run out of unemployment insurance money. There's going to have to be another um, federal stimulus package aimed at that. And, and and I don't know what the other result is, frankly, right? I mean, you've got European countries that have done the same shutdown orders, and their policy has been, look, we're just going to pay money direct. The government's going to pay the wages of the, of, of the worker directly. We're not going to have these end arounds of, of, of forcing sick leave through federal or state um, or local ordinances. You know, you can't work because the government has basically said it's too dangerous to work out there because we're in the middle of a pandemic and it's best for society that everyone stays home. You know, the way we're going to fix it is give money directly to the workers. So I don't I don't necessarily fear um, unemployment insurance becoming that. And, and I think that ultimately our goal is is that, you know, you want to be back in the economy. We had historic lows of, of unemployment before this. Right. People wanted to work. It's better to have a job. I mean, for a variety of reasons. Yeah, there's always going to be a sliver of society that decides they'd rather just collect whatever government check that they have. But, you know, if you focus on that right now, there there will be lives and things destroyed. You know, people can't pay their rent. Property owners can't pay pay the bank. Banks can't, you know, are defaulting on certain. And so then you have the trickle up. Yeah, as so, I call it. And so and so you're you're trying to prevent that a little bit. Yeah. One question that has come up, somebody has brought to me um out of Portland, Oregon is this uh idea that you know, I I am still open, right? And I am doing curbside and we're actually busy. We're even profitable. Um, so I have jobs for my people, but some of my people, uh, even though I have a job for them and I've invited them back to work, are choosing not to work because they don't feel safe. Is that person eligible for um, or eligible to collect an unemployment check if they aren't technically let go? If they do have a job still, but they're just not willing to work because of their comfort? Like, what what do we do in that scenario? Um. But- very good question. Um, unprecedented question, complicated question to answer. So let me try to just answer it simply. The simple answer I give is that if it is a, for a protected reason that they don't want to come to work, then you have to allow them the time off. And depending on what law protects, sometimes it's paid leave. And so in this situation, um, it, you know, you've got in Oregon, you've likely got state um, maybe local paid sick leave requirements. So depending on what the person says, like if it's just purely I'm fearful, um, you'd have to look also at the state um, and the applicable local, maybe county shutdown and shelter in place orders. Sometimes, you know, certain ones say if you're over the age of 65 or you've got compromised health for a variety of reasons, then you're, you know, extra required to stay home or recommended to stay home. If the person says, look, I'm trying to abide by this order, um, or if the person says, my kid, um, or I've got a child in the house that you know their school was canceled because of it, or they say, I'm scared because of a loved one, or they say, I'm scared because I've been exposed to symptoms, or I have symptoms, 
Um, there are lots of different reasons why I can qualify you for either state or, or if you're a small enough employer, less than 500 employees, the federal paid sick leave. Um, so if that's the case, you know, it's not really a question of what you want to do as the employer, you know, they've triggered a right. And, and, and you say, okay, pursuant to this, here's your time off, you know, depending on what documentation you need, there's a lot of debate and really conflicting guidance about whether you ask for a doctor's note or not, you know, to get the tax credit, there's certain documentation you get, but it doesn't necessarily have to be a doctor's note. And there's lots of guidance, including from the CDC that says, don't send an employee in a pandemic to a doctor to get a doctor's note to substantiate an absence. So, but, but let's just say it's purely somebody um, who the applicable shutdown orders don't require them to be home, don't put them in any special um, at-risk category. The employee says, I'm just fearful. You know, I'm healthy. I haven't been exposed. I'm just fearful. Um, technically, the employer could say, well, look, we've got we've to shift here for you. We're asking you to come in. Um, you know, if you don't come in, we'll count it as an unexcused absence, right? Okay, great. The guy doesn't come in or she doesn't come in and you count as an unexcused absence. And what's your remedy? Your remedy is ultimately to terminate them. Okay. I, I don't know that that, <laughs> that that really accomplishes the goal in this environment, right? If, if in your hypothetical, you've got an employer who's trying to fill shifts yeah. and there are lots of employers out there, healthcare providers, you know, the restaurants that are doing curbside and doing, you know, delivery and doing, um, and in doing uh, a variety of things you're allowed to do in the order, right? You know, cooking in different ways and, and preparing different foods for delivery. You know, in that situation, usually what we've advised is you just say to the employee, look, it's voluntary. If you don't want to come to work, that's fine. We've made it available to you, but for whatever reason, you don't want to, you know, go ahead, file for unemployment insurance. You're, you know, you're off shift, you're off for a week. You know, we give the documents to the employee, excuse me, that shows that they're furloughed, you know, even for a short time, you know, the most states have unemployment insurance documents that you fill out that you give to an employee that basically confirms and says, look, we're not paying them for this amount of time. Um, and yeah, and some of those documents will require you to, depending on the state to, to indicate the reason why. And some, you know, from the employer standpoint, you should be honest. The reason why is we gave work and they refused to come to work, but then the employees got the option. Then when filing for unemployment insurance, telling the unemployment insurance agency, I didn't go to work because I was fearful for X, Y, Z. There is guidance in California, at least that says that counts and that will qualify them for unemployment insurance okay. that, you know, now it's, you know, again, it doesn't say it in the statute. It says it in guidance. It depends on the reason but I do think there's probably lots of reasons besides I'm just scared. You know, I mean, a variety of people are in households that have a child or someone under 18 in the household that, you know, their school is canceled because there is every school is canceled as far as I know. Or you have point. somebody who's retired and, you know, um, that you're, you're a caretaker and you being exposed, you know, puts them in at even more harm's way, you know? Um, yeah. And that, yeah. And, and the, the other thing is you have to really think about, you know, people feel like they're shut down, but restaurants, you know, actually, I don't think anywhere restaurants have been shut down. They've been limited in their operations everywhere. Um, and so that's important for both whether, you know, you, you know, think you, you're an employee has been shut down or you tell them there's no work for them. It's also important for when you file insurance claims, you know, restaurateurs a lot of times are looking and considering right now, should I file lo loss of the income? 
um, insurance claims because, you know, and, and it, uh, amazingly enough, there's a lot of these insurance policies that have carve outs for pandemics. Like who saw this coming? The insurance companies. Um, a lot of other people saw it coming. A lot of, a lot of other people saw it coming too, but um, insurance companies did and they have carve outs, but that's not to say you shouldn't file, file, you know, I, I've been recommending file the claim and see where it pans out. Um, you know, do so in a way that's broad enough and, you know, it depends on the policy and, and et cetera, et cetera. But you have to think about that too, in a variety of ways, right? Um, some people have been saying we should be getting, you know, I, I should get the PPP loan, which is under the stimulus package and I'll keep all my employees. Yeah, maybe, maybe you, sh- you should get the PPP loan and maybe you should use it toward that expense, but not if you have nothing for the employees to do. Yeah. Um, and so you've got to go back to retooling, right? And, you know, one of the things we talk about remote work, um, another thing is talking about how to get your product or service into your employees, into your customers' hands, excuse me. So right now you've got a, you know, a wonderful restaurant operation that, that, that packs a ton of tushes in the seats every night. And, and all of a sudden that business was taken away from you. Um, but you've got a, a product that travels well, right? Maybe it's barbecue, maybe it's pizza, whatever it may be you know, deli food. And you've decided, you know what, I can staff up this way. I can do it this way. And there's enough demand. And if I can get my delivery fee to X or, or Y or whatever it is, and if I can get my delivery radius big enough and even bigger, if I, if, if it's a higher order number, um, I could do this. Yeah. And so all of a sudden, who are you? You've become someone that's got to figure out the last mile problem, right? You're familiar with what, you know, the last mile dilemma, like how do, you know, you know, Amazon, all target, Walmart, all the major corporations try to figure out, look, I can get deliveries. I got warehouses I, I've got, but, but how do I accomplish that last mile? How do I get it from, you know, the delivery center, um, you know, in Van Nuys to Aaron's house, you know, in, in Sherman Oaks. And so restaurants are now encountering that, you know, I've got, you know, a meat and, um, I've got a butcher and fish market down the street that I used to go pick up my stuff from, but I'm not going to pick it up now, but I'd love if they delivered it to me. So how do they figure that out? Yeah. Um, you know, do, you know, it used to be in my opinion in California cost prohibited your own employees, in-house delivery drivers, right? Well, insurance. Companies had it. Yeah. Insurance, but reimbursement you had, you know, essentially you had to reimburse them at a mileage rate of 56 or 57 cents a mile. Um, but you know what? I'll be very honest with you. I'd pay a, an exorbitant delivery fee now to get my favorite pizza delivered. Well, yes, supply and so, demand. Like people, if, if, yeah. if, if people don't want to go out and they're fearful to go out, then that should increase the value of delivery. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's, it's at least in the two weeks. I mean, it's it's what is it? April seventh, right now. Two days ago. Most state governments are, you know, you know, someone in the state government had said, you know, you shouldn't be going out. And then the White House actually said, don't be going to supermarkets right now. Yeah. Um, and that's and a so, one thing I think people what, are people are more apprehensive to order out or go to a pickup curbside. I feel like than they are to go to the grocery store, which to me, maybe that shift is starting to happen where people realize it's probably safer to pick up from a restaurant or to get it delivered. There's, um, th- there's three options. I, I, I would. I agree with you that people have different risk assessments about what they're going to do, right? You have three options. It, it comes to your door, whether it be from a restaurant or, you know, Amazon prime or your local supermarket that's delivered. You can go and pick up from, from a restaurant. 
or you can go into a market. I, I you know, I, I'm not a doctor, but I, I, you know, a couple of those things I don't do right now. But I'm obviously getting food to my house. I got a family. I got to eat myself. Yeah. I don't run on coffee. And so, you know, yeah, I have been able to get it to your door. I think there's something about that right now that you have a little more sense of security that you're not exposing yourself as much. And so I've encouraged many of my clients, look, figure out a way that, you know, you've got to deal with right now Postmates, DoorDash, Uber Eats, Grubhub, whoever it is, you know, expand on that deal and think about bringing the function also in-house. You know, it it didn't make sense before that even though I live six miles, seven miles away for you to deliver to me. But if I'm going to put in a $250 deli delivery order because I want it to last for me and my family for a week or two, you know, you should deliver to me and add add a $30 delivery charge and I'll pay it. Yeah. Um, And so and so what does that mean? That does mean hire two or three drivers. And yeah, if they're going to have their own car. Yes. Get your insurance broker to cover them for workers comp and all of the insurance that was required to have an employee driving and yeah, reimburse them at 56 cents a mile, but or whatever it is, 58 cents a mile. But if they're going to go that six miles, 12 miles round trip for me, that's, you know, build that cost into me. Um, and so it, it's another way where restaurateurs have to think to themselves, how, how can I do this? How can I get my, my product, my food into my customer's hands? It used to be that I could put a hundred of them right here in seats. I can't do that right now. And so what can I do to get those people my food? I can tell them to come to my curb. I can tell them to go to DoorDash. But what else can I do? Yeah, man, um, this has been a lot of packed. Um, <laughs> great advice, man. Uh, you can tell when I don't know much about a certain topic because I don't do a lot of talking and I'm just letting you kind of do your thing. And this has been uh, enlightening for me. And I'm sure my listeners are finding it enlightening, too. One thing I am curious about is the uh, from your perspective, from a lawyer's perspective, um, what the future looks like um, and what advice you, you would give one of your clients or my audience um, to, to prepare for the future. And I'm just curious, like what's being said in, in your, in your circles and your you know lawyer circles, what things have we not considered yet that we need to start considering? Um, well, how, what, what future you want to talk about the next two, the next three months? Well, next I think months that's part the, of the, the question is like a lot of us are trying to plan for the future. And part of that planning is like, okay, well, how much time do we have? When, when are we expecting to get out of this? What I've heard is likely uh, best case scenario, June, more likely summertime, July, August, when we start getting more. Like- I, I, I think that's a fair assessment. So let's talk about that. Um, I, I think that it's going to be three phases. I think it's going to be phase one, which is um, getting out of this, this being people locked in their homes um, and, and businesses, unless you're essential, being shut down or limited. Um, I agree with you that it's, you know, from what I'm hearing, from what I'm seeing and shutdown orders, you know, n- nothing is, is getting easier, right? You've got shutdown orders happening. You've got, you know, construction sites, which used to be, um, you know, easier going now have tighter orders. You've got masks um, being recommended and now required in certain counties, you, you know, in San Diego County, if you're, if you are serving food that, or you're, and you're a customer facing an employee is now required to wear a mask. Um, and so you've got that trend still going. You've got the medical experts saying, look, we've, we've got to, you know, continue this, what we're doing. Um, so then, you know, let's just say summertime, this ends. 
Um, what I think is going to happen and what's being reported uh, is, is that there will be a limited um, reopening of, of the economy, so to speak. And, and certain things will, you know, be able to reopen in, in, in their, in their pre um, closing fashion and certain things won't um, restaurants. Um, I do not think in, in, you know, when, when it reopens, we'll be allowed to just pack people shoulder to shoulder. Um, I don't think that's going to happen <clears throat> until probably there's a vaccine or at least the population, um, feels that they're secure enough that there is a therapy treatment or there's immunity, or we know more about this, that that can be a safe environment to be in. Um, it, it's, it's twofold, right? The restaurant doesn't, isn't, you know, it's not stupid enough to say, I'm going to invite my customers into an unsafe environment. At the same time, I don't think customers are going into an unsafe environment. Yeah. And so you, you have, you have that. That doesn't mean though, that all of a sudden the dining rooms are just going to collect dust. It means that restaurants, I think, will be limited to half capacity. You'll see temperature checks, which sounds kind of crazy, um, but a lot of major restaurants are doing that for their employees right now. You've got a lot of, a lot of major countries that, when they're trying to reopen, um, they're doing temperature checks everywhere. Um, you've got government guidance that has said, look, during a pandemic, you are allowed to do temperature checks. It is not an invasion of privacy that if you want to come into a public space as an employee or an individual and there's a contactless temperature check and your temperature is over a certain amount, you know, they can say, get out of here. Um, mm. And so you're going to see a lot of that. I do think that there'll be some level of um, when they really, you know, decide um, from a scientific standpoint, what is immunity, quote unquote, when you have enough antibodies to be able to, you know, get this and, and be okay from this. Um, and then they understand how much it's spreading. I think there'll be an aspect of that, that that'll give you some type of protection. Um, I'm not sure about what they'll do with age or when they pinpoint really who's at risk. But I do think that um, that will become a component that if you're at a higher risk, um, you know, they, they will say, you know, you're, you're limited to where you can go. Um, beyond restaurants, you already see it right now at, at, at big box stores. They're, they're only allowing 50% of what they normally allow, you know, a per, per square footage amount of customers can come in. They have made their aisles one way. Um, they've set up actual, you know, tape on the ground for social distancing. I think that that's not going to go away um, for a period of time. Um, sports, I think, will be played again, but probably without packing people shoulder to shoulder into stadiums. Um, uh, in the immediate term. Um, and so how, how that affects the hospitality industry and stadiums. And by immediate term, I, I don't know what that is. I'm, I'm not one of the doctors, right? I do know, though, that a lot of people are saying that there's phases of this. One phase is, you know, flattening the curve. You know, the, ne the next phase is making sure the health system is in place for therapeutic therapies and be able to treat severe cases. And the phase after that is um, a vaccine, um, that's, that's out to the world enough where people can feel safe to, you know, be back to where we were before all this. Yeah. And so as a restaurateur, I think you should be thinking about, um, being able to operate in each of those phases. And I don't, I don't know how long those are, yeah. but I it's... do know, I, you know, I do, I do know the governor of California has basically said, look, you've got until May. So anyone that says short in June, um, 
I think is probably of a pipe a pipe dream. And beyond that, you know, you have to kind of take it day by day. There's one last question I have, and it's just kind of curiosity for me. Um, is there a point where um, you obviously all lives are valuable, right? Um, that goes without question. But a healthy economy is also valuable. And I guess the question is, is at what point um, do we do you see where I'm going with this? Yeah, I see where you're going. <laughs> what you're trying, what you're to, trying say to say it? is, 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 <laughs> no, is, is the cure is the cure worse than the problem? I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Um, and the cure, the cure being shutting down the economy, you know, putting people out of work. Um, and, you know, the highest levels of unemployment since the Great Depression, all these awful stats we're seeing. Um, is there is there a point? Of course there's a point. Um, do I think we're remotely there? No. Um, that That's my personal opinion. I think that the point is society decides where that point is. Um, and, I, and I don't know what you do. If you open up this country and you just say, you know what, everything is fine, go back to normal, you know, supply demand, you know, it's capitalist and, you know, a capitalist society, you know, people aren't going to go out and buy things if they don't feel safe to do so. Um, I think we're still at that point. And so, you know, in my, to put it succinctly, the health crisis needs to be fixed before the economic crisis. I don't see a world where you can have a, a bustling, you know, robust economy in the midst of a public health crisis. You know where people are getting sick, and they they're having their their leaders telling them we don't have the good supplies, um, medical personnel to help you. You know I, I don't understand how people can do that at the same time. You know go to a bar and celebrate. Of course, there's people that do it. Of course, there's some spring breakers that do it. Um, you know society. You know sometimes needs to be told, look, this is good for the betterment of all of us. Um, but we'll see where that becomes, right? I'm sure there are governments out there um, that are going to um, do things that in hindsight, they'll say, oh, you know what? That wasn't the best method to do this. That hurt the economy more than we had to. But, uh, you know, I, I, I'd rather err on the side of health than, than the side of the economy. Because, again, you got to have the health crisis end first before the economic crisis yeah. ends. And even if, you know, even if the government tomorrow says, okay, all this stuff that we've been doing is out the window, go back to, you know, life as you knew it and who gets sick, gets sick and whatever, like whatever the, the toll takes on us, you know, that, that it just is. But even if that were to happen, the economy would still be crippled because people wouldn't just go out and it wouldn't be like it was before people, a big percentage, the majority of people would still be bunkered in, you know, and, uh, that's right. So the, and look here, let me give you an example. That's the reality. I, I live I live in Los Angeles. Yeah. I live in Los Angeles, okay? So so I've got kind of the government for me is three levels. I've got the federal government led by President Trump, I've got the state government led by Governor Newsom, and I've got my city government um led by um Mayor Garcetti. And so I'm listening to, you know, each of those people during and, and the medical experts alongside of them during this crisis. Um you know, at different times, each of those levels of government gave different recommendations, both legally in the form of, you know, orders and recommendations. And, and then and then just from a public press standpoint um, and, uh, you know, the, the state government and my city government acted quickly. Um, I didn't necessarily need them 
to act quickly as an individual. I made my own decisions based on what they were telling me, based on facts that I always seen. But to your point, I mean, look, Governor Newsom, and if Governor Newsom and Governor and, and Mayor Garcetti tomorrow said, all clear, you can go out in public, I'm not going anywhere. Um, you know, I'm, I would still take the precautions that I, I think would be necessary to not get sick, or if I do get sick, and my, you know, prevent my family from getting in or my close ones or loved ones, the public at large, right? And so, but there does become a tipping point and a changing point where that will change and everyone's individual, you know, that's the thing about this country. We're not an authoritarian government um, like some of these other countries that have experienced this, you know, namely China. They don't allow society to kind of make the decision on when um, it's okay to go out and do things and, you know, kind of self-quarantine by the honor system. They just do it. And so I think that's know, how, another reason why we're not going to see this thing flatten out like we did in China, because when the government says this is what you need to do, it's like hitting a switch like and things happen where you, right. there's always going to be a little level of rebellion here in the States. And, I, you know, not not to <laughs> not to start any kind of like conspiracy theories or anything like that. But I, I feel like if this thing was made in a lab, you know what I'm saying? Like some people said <laughs> early on, there's there's almost like certain governments knew that they would be able to handle it better than other governments. And you know what I'm saying? I, I, I don't want to create, I, 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 no, I understand. Here's what, <laughs> regardless of where it, what, I, I understand what you're saying, regardless of where it came from lab or a wet market or space. Um, the fact always is, is that the go- there were governments that were going to handle this differently than not, because the way that this is handled, I think it's a universal truth that, Initially, during a pandemic outbreak, the way you handle this is flattening the curve, bending the curve, you know, severe social distancing. Um, You know, how do you enforce social distancing? You enforce it through the rule of law if you have to do that. Um, And certain governments have that ability already in place, um, more so than other governments. Um, You know, certain governments do not have the Second Amendment. Um, There are certain places in the world that no one has done. They're they're better suited to handle things like this, you know, um, that, that's, that's right. And so, and, and so, yeah, are those governments going to do that? Yeah. Those governments are making decisions for their industry even more than, um, our governments are doing right. And when they open up and then ultimately have to reclose, you know, close back up, you're seeing that now in, in China where they, they, they were able to reopen, but then they saw some cases of community spread. And they've, they've closed back up, but also you have to look how they opened back to the initial question you know, the steps they took. And I think that there's going to be some of those steps, you know, there's definitely a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, you know, we're not all locking our houses forever. No one's saying that it's just how we come out of this, um, and how we operate within this. Um, you gotta be realistic. Yeah. Well, Aaron, this was originally meant to be a 20 to 30 minute conversation, but you've been so insightful and, uh, you've been on a tear. I figured I'd just let it go and I, and I don't want to abuse your time, but I do appreciate you taking the time to come enlighten us and talk about some of the more, um, maybe confusing things. Uh, a lot of question marks out there. I think you might've, I'm sure you cleared up a lot of that for us today. Thank you very much. Any last thoughts that you want to get out that you were hoping we would discuss anything that we did not come to the table yet. Now's the time. No, I think um, I I think I've I've touched on everything. Is you know the the, the larger points are um, when you're retooling your workforce, do it in a compliant way. Um, don't ignore wage hour laws, um, and do it in a way where you document it, just for employee expectations, but also so you can demonstrate it later. Um, you know, if an employee basically is earning a dollar or less than 
they were learning or earning um, before all this, go recommend they file for employment insurance. Don't make any promises or, or explanation about it because it's complicated. It's not up to us. It's, you know, it's making an insurance claim and, you know, for, hopefully they're, they're eligible and qualify and hopefully the amount is, you know, something that helps them. So, and, and, and finally, you know, there's, you know, how you operate during this as a restaurateur or any business, be conscious of the shutdown orders and the stay at home orders, they change and, and how they govern your business. It's not just if you can operate, but how you operate, having social distancing, hand washing and doing all those things, um, to ensure that you're doing it you're maintaining compliance and the same with your remote workforce. Um, if you're sending people to work from home, you know, make sure if they're hourly to gather their time, no matter what, make sure it's a safe environment. Um, make sure that you're providing them tools or you're reimbursing them if that's what the law requires and where they are. Um, and ultimately just communicate with, with your workforce, right? I mean, you have to put, put yourself in their shoes. Um, they know less about what's going on than you do. Um, it's a scary time and because, because it's unknown and any unknown brings a level of fear. And so the more transparency, even if, Hey, we're considering things, no decisions have been made yet. Sometimes that's, <laughs> that's, you know, soothing as opposed to the fear of there's been a decision made and when's the other shoe going to drop. So, um, you know, be transparent with, with your workforce and, 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 you know, there'll be, there'll be a light at the end of the tunnel. Beautiful. Aaron, thank you so much for, again, carving out the time to talk to us, to share your knowledge and, uh, you know, shed some light on the future of the industry and what we can do now to prepare for that. Uh, it's always a pleasure chatting with you. That's for sure. You too. Thank you. All right. Cheers. All right. There we go. Aaron Colby, always a pleasure talking to you, man. You've been super helpful through all this. I just cannot express enough my, my gratitude for just making yourself available. Um, so frequently, so easily. Uh, just thank you so much. And the big takeaways from today's conversation: if you are retooling your work for, if you are retooling your workforce, uh, do it in a compliance way. Just because the world's upside down, just because there's mayhem amongst us, does not mean we can be in compliant or uncompliant. Uh, don't ignore these things because you don't want them to come back to bite you. So if there's been any changes, uh, document it, right? Uh, if an employee is earning a dollar less, make sure they are applying for unemployment insurance. Be conscious of, be conscious of the shutdown and stay at home orders. Uh, they are going to directly impact uh, the regulations and, and what you can be doing within your restaurant. So be on top of those things. And then if you are having some of your people working from home remotely, he gave some great advice on how to be compliant in that regard. Maybe look into that even further. You want to make sure you're, you're doing that right as well. And then I think the last thing that we can take away from today's conversation is just be open and transparent with your workforce communicate saying you don't know is better than saying nothing at all. Right? So just keep those lines of communication open and that's the best way you can serve your people. And, uh, yeah. Um, so if you guys are listening to this and you want answers and you have concerns, uh, let me know what those, those concerns are. And if you know who the person is that can speak best to that, let me know. I'll be honest. Um, there's a lot of mayhem out there right now. There's a lot of, information that that needs to be shared and it's a, like drinking from a fire hose 
And if you guys, I know there's a lot of pain points out there. You've, you've shared your pain points with me. Um, if you, if you are willing to share also who that person is that you think needs to be spoken to, that will really help me with, uh, trying to just kind of cut through the noise and to get the right people to talk to you. Another thing that's been on my mind, uh, there's a lot of people who are out of work right now. A lot of people who just want to be a part of, something bigger, something greater, uh, a way to support the industry, a way to, con- to contribute, to give back. And I'll be honest, I could use some help. Uh, if you're passionate about the industry and you're passionate about finding solutions and you're passionate, you're keeping yourself plugged in and you think that I'm not talking about certain things that need to be spoken about, uh, you know, l- let me know. Talk to me. Join the team. I, I need help. Uh, this isn't just about me, the Eric Cacciatore show. This is our industry. Um, the way I, I serve our industry is by listening to our industry and by giving people a platform, a stage to stand on, to make an example of and to move our industry forward. So I'm open to suggestions. I'm open to collaboration. I'm open to receiving help. Reach out to me, Eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. This isn't I'm not looking for help from people who are trying to sell something right now. I just want to be very clear about that. This isn't a pitch for you to come on my, my platform to sell your product or tool. I'm looking for people who are, who are looking for answers, uh, who think they found answers and think that they can help me connect with the right people to help move our industry forward. If you, if you are one of these people who are plugged in and you want to contribute, you want to be a part of this movement to inspire, empower and transform our industry. Like now's the time to, to join forces, reach out to me. I am very interested in that. Um, all right. So with all that said, I have to remind you again that this episode is brought to you by our sponsors, restaurant 365 and Procter and Gamble restaurant. 365 is a cloud based all in one restaurant specific accounting and back office platform. Uh, you can learn more about restaurant 365 at restaurant 365.com slash unstoppable. If you use that link, you will save 30% off implementation and you'll get a free inventory build within restaurant 365, a value of $5,000. Even better. Email me if you're interested in restaurant 365, I'll personally make an introduction. They will take amazing care of you. And then also Procter and Gamble, like we mentioned, Dawn Professional, the number one disc detergent found in most commercial kitchens around the nation with Dawn Professional. You can get long lasting suds that clean 58% more dishes per sink. Head over to pgpro.com. Again, that's pgpro.com to learn more. And thanks for sticking around this long until next time. Peace out.